0: Hello everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm skipping a traditional intro this week (laughs) because we're doing something a little different. It's been a while since we've talked about sort of a travelogue experience in the woods and uh, the wonderful Sarah Johnson is here.
1: Hi everyone.
0: And we're going to talk to you about a recent trip we took to southern Australia. But first I just want to get this out of the way and say hey if you like this show please consider supporting it. The best way to do that is to become a patron over at patreoncom plants. A little bit of contribution each month goes a long way in ensuring this show has a future. I would not be doing this without the support of my patrons, so thank you to them. You can also buy a copy of my book, some of our customizable merch and stickers, and all of those can be found over at IndefensivePlants.com. I put all the links in the show notes for IndefensivePlants.com/podcast. But hi, Sarah.
1: Hello. How are you?
0: (laughs) I'm good. Thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to do this with me today. We thought about doing it in the field, but sometimes you just got to enjoy the experience, right?
1: And we had no idea what we were looking at 90% of the time because it was all very new to us. So
0: That's also a big part of it is we had to actually identify 99.9% of the stuff we were seeing and I don't know, a podcast of us being like, well, that's cool. What's that? I don't know. (laughs) just didn't seem that exciting. So you're getting a postdoc. Also, I forgot the little muff or whatever you call it, the little... uh, Oh,
1: it was very windy. Fuzzy
0: thing that goes over the microphone, so you would have just heard a lot of blustery noises. But uh, it's really, really hard to encompass two weeks uh, in Australia for first time nature nuts like us. So we're just picking a a subset of species today to talk to you about some of the encounters we saw and... uh, Go from there. There's plenty more. Keep your eye on our social media accounts because that's where a lot of these cool updates will be coming from. But I'm going to let you kick it off. Give us your initial impressions and some of the first things that stuck out to you.
1: I agree that it's hard to encapsulate all of the cool nature we saw while we were gone. Um, I also feel like you know I've mentioned this before, but we have some sort of magic that I think makes other people envious sometimes that when we go out in nature, we see some really wild things. Uh, We ticked quite a lot of wildlife off our list, not just plants and, um, you know, wildlife that sometimes people who've lived there their entire life don't see. So I feel like that was a a very cool accomplishment. Um, but and also I, just experience to have.
0: I wouldn't say it's magic so much as is we don't hike in groups. We're super slow, we're very slow, <laughs> and generally pretty quiet. So really, I think that's the recipe for success. Is uh, yeah, go gently into the woods, and you might see some cool stuff.
1: Yeah, but I think first impressions, uh, just like a lot of places all over the world, um, or, or countries that are as continents, or countries that are as big as America. The types of habitats range so dramatically from place to place within that area. And so I think you could maybe conjure up an image of various places when you think of Australia, maybe that be the Great Barrier Reef or the outback, you know, thinking of the desert or tropical rainforests. And I have uh, not really experienced this area of Australia, South Australia, which was very temperate, ocean views big rocky cliffs, uh, forests, uh, just different than I anticipated it being. I don't know what I thought it was going to be, but um, really enjoyed the landscape as a whole and not going to lie, made me consider giving up everything and living in Australia.
0: (laughs) I think that happens everywhere (laughs) we visit, but understandably so. It was truly a gorgeous place and I... Started to do research on stuff and look at pictures. And then I said, what am I doing? I just want to be surprised. And it did not conform to anything. You know, growing up watching The Crocodile Hunter uh, did not prepare me for this. No,
1: definitely did not.
0: Especially not the region we were in.
1: Well, and I think the area we were in, South Australia, being forested and temperate and coastal felt very familiar, but also very alien at the same time. So I think that was what was so unique about it is... From a panned back perspective, it looks like a temperate forest. And then you get up close to all the plants and they're so strange and different. And like one example of a plant that was really common in that area is uh, called daisy bush, or it's an olearia is the genus. There's multiple species in that genus, lots of them actually. But um, (laughs) there was a couple that I think we saw Axilaris, which was along the coast, it's called Little Smoky, um, and Phlogopapa, which is an interesting species name too, but that was growing all over the sloped areas of the forest uh, where it was a little wetter, and it's a aster tree, like it's a true shrub with aster flowers. It basically looks like a frost era, aster on steroids, which <laughs> frost asters are already on steroids, but this was like a true bush, and so it was just... Plants like that, where you get up close to it and you're like, What are you? And then it's familiar, but also very unique.
0: I wasn't ready for woody Asteraceae. I'd seen, we had seen vines in Panama, and that was cool enough. But yeah, these were borderline small trees. I mean, they're, they they put some red buds we know to shame. And that's saying a lot for something that produces daisy like flowers.
1: Yeah. One of the first places we stopped along our route to our kind of vacation destination. Uh, in Australia, was a waterfall right off the road. Yeah. And the whole gully was full of she-oaks, uh, which was, again, a, a totally alien species. Or I know them as invasives
0: too. from southern U.S., Florida areas. So you, you have that backdrop, and then you walk into the forest, and you're like, oh, no. And then you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> they're, they're supposed to be here. They're just
1: like a big cousin it.
0: Yeah, bush. Yeah,
1: um, reminiscent of willows, but not.
0: Yeah, they're kind that's of drooping. A good point. It felt like yeah. um like a black willow, smaller than a lot of the big black willows we're used to seeing. But picture instead of willow leaves, the the leaves I guess you'd call them look like equisetum. In fact, yeah. I saw some young ones and I was like, "What is this horse tail?" And then yeah. I realized it was just a baby she oak Cassowariana. Yeah. They're their own family, I believe. Very cool. Very cool. Casuariania ACE or something. <laughs> I might have just made that up at the time I had. They are their own family, yeah. um, and they're flowering plants, but not oaks.
1: Right. Very cool, though. Um, so that, it was just a neat experience to just go right off the road, see this huge waterfall in this gully full with all these asters and she oaks and very cool deciduous trees. Um, starting to see lots of unique birds. We saw quite a lot of lorikeets and strange birds in the city but the corvid diversity is really neat yeah. um i think we saw every species of cockatoo that lives in southern australia they,
0: calling them cocklets but that's not it corollas corellas, <laughs>
1: Cor- corellas. there is multiple species of corella, not cocklets <laughs> although i like that they would probably like i that.
0: wish i would have petitioned to name them that um one thing that blew my mind was, again, seeing them in a city. So you're seeing new birds, very colorful, weird birds that you're used to only seeing if you're like me and grew up in North America in pet stores, sadly. Um, but we went to Albert Park because I'm also a secret Formula One fan and I had to see <laughs> yeah the track and there were cor- correlates, we're calling them?
1: Corellas. Corellas. <laughs> <laughs> They're all cockatoos, but yeah. they there's a long-billed corella and I think just a... Little Corella or something similar. They're white. They have bluish eye rings and like pink on their face. They're very sweet. And at our Airbnb, they kept land. We kept hearing something and we're like, what is that? And they were landing on the antenna. Uh, yeah, on top big old of the TV house antenna. And, and chilling on the antenna. But I
0: loved them at Albert Park. They were foraging in the grass and I looked it up later and it says they love bulbs. They love eating bulbs. And one of the things they've benefited from is star grass or whatever. It's a, it's a South African bulb that's been introduced. It's like a lawn weed with a pretty little pink flower in there.
1: Yeah. And they were
0: just digging them up with their big old cockatoo beaks.
1: But a lot of them were just foraging on the side of the road, which seemed very dangerous, but also fruitful for them, um, Similar to the Corella, there's a Rosella, the Crimson Rosella, and then there's a King Rosella, too. Um, Beautiful blue and red um, and green parrots. Um, Lorikeets, there's galas, which are pink and gray. They have red eyes, which is The females. The females have red eyes. Because I
0: was like, did I just see an albino with color on it? And then I realized it was red, that it was just the females.
1: But so many cool birds, just more than, you know... I'm sure more will come to mind in a little bit, but sure. yeah, the, the the cockatoo diversity was definitely pretty crazy. We saw the the black crested ones too on our Instantly. first hike, and there was a group of them, and they were kind of upsettingly cooing at us, like we had invaded their uh, roosting yeah. area. And... and so
0: we took some pictures, got out of there. But they're big birds, and it looks like they could easily a break little a daunting off if yeah they
1: but really I've been, cool. I've been
0: bitten by a parrot before, and it is to date the worst bite I've ever gotten. Yeah. I didn't deserve it. I was not messing with it. I just wanted to get it up above where it needed to be, and it bit me, and it got really infected. But I've <laughs> learned my lesson, and I we steered clear, gave them a wide berth, took some pictures through some bins.
1: Yeah. Well, what was, was still... the best was being out at like a couple hiking spots where there was people walking by, and it, like I remember one spot I saw the... Um, gang gang cockatoos which are apparently um, declining which is sad to hear they are suffering from habitat loss there and they have this adorable little like red poof on the back of their on the back of their head at least the males do like the poof of feathers and I'm just tracking this bird with my binoculars and you can see people walking by and just one little kid goes what's she looking at and the mom just says oh, it's just one of the red ones. And I was like, just one of the red ones? (laughs) It's the most incredible bird I've ever seen, you know?
0: But I remember thinking uh, a similar sentiment when one of the exchange students got really excited about Canada geese. And I was like, oh, just wait. So, you know, it's always what your backdrop is. But speaking of the black cockatoo... That leads me into one of the species I wanted to talk about. Sure. The mountain ash, which is not an ash as we know it here in North America. It's a eucalyptus, eucalyptus regnans. And it was one of the most common species. It was the backbone of the forests in Southern Australia. So to give you an indication of where we were, it was sort of the Otway Ranges, Great Otway National Park, and it really was the backbone of most of those forests. And it's a species I've actually known about unconsciously for a long time because I read the wild trees about climbing giant, uh, sequoias and redwoods on West coast of North America. But in that book, they kind of give mention of Tasmania and these giant flowering plants that live in Australia and Tasmania. And it, Took me getting there to realize, oh, these are the trees they were talking about because they can grow to massive sizes. So they're eucalyptus and that makes them myrtaceae, beautiful, beautiful flowers in myrtaceae and and eucalyptus just are so exaggerated with these poofs of filaments. But they have these really like kind of cream colored beige bark that Mm -hmm. peels uh and it peels kinda in like a way a sycamore. yeah kind of like a sycamore but like think more peely uh and it's called decorticating bark and i was reading about that it's it's like a sycamore they shed their bark as they age as they grow The the old bark dies off and the new bark replaces it from underneath and i've heard different rationale as to why that is like shedding epiphytes or potential parasites uh revealing photosynthetic bark underneath which i'm not sure i don't think eucalyptus do photosynthesize through the bark at least not this species um and another one mentioned how flammable because you would drive and there'd just be like oh no roadkill and then you're like oh no it's just giant strips of bark sitting in the road It was very fibrous and i guess it's extremely flammable but these are trees that live in a highly flammable area Now, not all of South Australia is supposed to burn, but a lot of it does. And these forests are prone to low frequency, high intensity burns. And apparently uh, this species doesn't really tolerate fire very well. It tends to die. But what it does is it clears the canopy and allows their seeds to germinate. So it's kind of like favoring their offspring over time. But in areas where they can be incredibly stable, they can live upwards of 500 years. And so cool. they do hold the record of the tallest growing flowering plant. I read something that a mature tree can put on over six feet of growth a year in the right That's conditions. That's a lot. But the record holder at current is 330, 330 feet tall. Wow. Wild.
1: It's incredible. Yeah. I don't think we saw any that large, but we saw some, some giant trees.
0: So the great Very thing about trees. the Altway Ranges is there is some pockets of old-growth forest that we were able to find and hike in. A lot of it, like North America, has been logged since European settlement, and uh, you know, sort of the days of giant forests, or tall forests as they call them, are gone. But we still saw massive ones. But to bring it back to the black cockatoo, it reminds me of situations like the ivory-billed woodpecker or a lot of the other large birds on this continent where they need giant roost cavities and this can only happen in giant trees and so these old growth eucalyptus regnans forests are perfect breeding habitat for birds like that so not only are the big cavity nesters there's a lot of marsupials that nest in these big cavities uh, and then some of the larger eagles will build nests on the branches and it's like a size delimination or whatever word you want to call that it's a there's a minimum size that these yeah. animals need to successfully complete their life cycle so they're tied to these sort of old growth large forests
1: and of course the koala
0: the koala
1: they love the eucalyptus, eucalyptus. they require the eucalyptus they only eat eucalyptus which is why they are so stinky <laughs> uh, but also very cute they were we saw a few resting in kind of the like a little chalice yeah Area yeah. of the branches of the trees where they kind of just sway in the breeze and nap all day long.
0: It reminded me of those camping chairs, the the three-pronged camping yeah. chairs that fold out. Yeah, that's exactly They would just what pick a like. spot like that where they could support themselves and just sleep. Yeah. Really cool.
1: But in the understory in some areas of those eucalyptus forests were very cool gullies, gullies. basically gullies. cove forests, uh, we would call them in some parts of America, and the gullies had tree ferns, mm. which was a very exciting sight. I don't want to say I got sick of them quickly, but you are you are at some point, you're like, wow, there's just a lot of tree you ferns here. Acclimate, I would yeah, say. Is the better... All of a sudden, you're just like, wow, this is just a common backdrop here, the the tree ferns, something I've never really seen in my life, all of a sudden is
0: everywhere. Yeah. You know, you see one specimen in a botanical garden and you're like, that's really cool. But then to see a whole forest, I mean, almost every forest we walked in in the Otways had them on some level. Now the drier ones, not so much, but the wet ones.
1: Yeah. Wow. Dense. Lots of cool ferns. Um, I think you saw some neat liverworts. Um, we yes. actually went out one night trying to find glowworms, but I think we were too early in the season. It was too cold. Um, I was really excited about glowworms, but we were foiled this time. Guess we have to go back.
0: Yeah, shucks. <sighs> um, but the tree ferns, we thought we were really seeing two species again. Without keys in hand or really taking the time to, you know, ID them properly, yeah. we could just go by what we were seeing. And uh, it, there, there was one that you would regularly see that was sort of squatter. I don't want to say it was smaller because we saw some monsters. Uh, it was just more of a yes. stout tree fern with like the fronds the circumference was easily 20 feet on some of these beasts, yeah but it was a very shaggy bearded bark trunk we'll get there um, yeah. in a second on the anatomy of a tree fern but yeah it was very shaggy very
1: it was exactly soft. what you plant orchids in <laughs> yeah
0: and then the other ones we were seeing were taller skinnier in a lot of ways but kept sort of that recalcitrant petiole base yeah it
1: was like little shingles yeah
0: that were very yeah. spiky And so I think what we were seeing was the soft tree fern, Dixonia uh, antarctica, and then the, I guess, rough tree fern or spiny tree fern. It used to be Cyathea australis, but now I guess it's Alsophila australis.
1: Makes sense. I I definitely feel like, you know, physiology wise, you can't just look at something and say, oh, they're different because they look different, but they did...
0: I was hesitant, but yeah, yeah. It, it, I'm happy to confirm it with some proper identification at this point. But it was just so neat to see, you know, I'm used to ferns growing on the ground, occasionally in the trees, but here they were being actual trees, Epiphyte. like yeah. mid-story trees. Oh, and trees,
1: lots of epiphytes on lots the of epiphytes. trees too. Tons of ferns and mosses. I
0: mean, you mentioned that they are often harvested, sadly, for their quote-unquote bark uh, because we turn them into houseplant substrates, epiphyte, like orchid substrates, which I've stopped doing. They're usually harvested unsustainably, Right, I've yeah. learned, and they can live for hundreds of years. They're very ancient trees.
1: Yeah. yeah. And when you think about it, they are not like, even when we would see dead, like stumps, mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of the trunk left that would be able to be sustainably harvested afterwards right. it decays and it does support you know it quickly gets taken over by the forest i would say yeah so. it is
0: such a substrate which i can see you're pulling up a picture of
1: one of, one the, of the very th- cool plants you yeah, saw growing in the it
0: was like tree a slap plants. in the face in the best <laughs> way possible
1: tell them what we saw
0: it was a. I, it was a, 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 hood, a green hood orchid, but to call it a green hood orchid is disingenuous to its actual color.
1: They call them the slaty Helmet Orchids.
0: Slady Helmet Orchids. Terostylis is the genus. Uh, I think it is largely an Australian, New Zealand genus of orchids, but it's one of those that have had a mythological status for me because I love orchids. I've always seen pictures of these and read about them and researched them, but just been dying to see them in person. And you... Saw them. Found them for the first <laughs> time in the wild for us. It
1: was really cool. I was just we were being slow walking through the forest. Looked over and saw something weird poking out of the trunk of this tree fern, and realized it was an orchid. And then, of course, once you notice something, you keep looking, and you find more and more. And there is even this one trail that we went down. The kind of end of it was a big waterfall vista. Mm. And, you know, he's looking out over the waterfall and I look up on one of the tree ferns next to it and there's a whole swath of these orchids.
0: Yeah, I think your, your response was,
1: oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that was a, a common response yeah. during this trip, but it was just really neat. Picture We, we picture don't have like those.
0: a hooded, yeah. a, a hoodie. Yeah. And the hoodie, the back of the head is white and then the front of it is maroonish in color. And then from the chin area comes these two spikes Two protrusions that come up. And where your face would be is the lip of the orchid, the labellum. Yeah, Uh, It's a really cool trapping mechanism. They have very complex pollination syndromes. Most of them are deceptive. I don't think any of them are rewarding. So either sex or food deception. Um, And this one was probably the most common one we ended up seeing just in numbers. Although it felt like it was one of those things where the handful of ferns we saw them on were it. And they really weren't in the rest of the forest.
1: Well, they seemed to be... In areas that were closer to water, so if there was like a waterfall or we went to one area that had a lake, they were on the trees. Well, I mean, we were on a trail also, so I can't tell you what was in the rest of the forest, but it did seem that they were in areas that may be more humid or have water nearby.
0: But to call it a trunk, and even to call it a tree, is misleading because they're ferns. They don't have secondary thickening like you would to form a proper trunk or wood, It'll even form wood for that matter. What a tree fern is, is a central rhizome that when they get tall enough is largely just decaying organic material in the center. Uh, And then what ends up happening is most of the structural elements of the the trunk of a tree fern are its adventitious rhizomes or roots that come down. And that's when you see these uh, sort of, they look like a bunch of twisty black mini straws woven together Uh, and that's what gave them the shaggy appearance is all the rhizoids coming out and that's why they're such an important substrate for epiphytes is because they're very porous but they're also a very humid substrate so plants like these hooded orchids can put their roots down get enough wicking for water and nutrients um, but have like an airy substrate to actually grow on it's it's just a perfect microclimate yeah Uh, it's just such a cool growth habit and again One of those things that like you see a single specimen, you're like, that's neat. To see a forest of them, (laughs) it just, I'll never recover. I'll never be the same again.
1: Yeah. We spent a few days over the time of the trip exploring these like tree fern kind of cove areas. I mean, it truly
0: is like wet, temperate rainforest. Yeah. It really
1: feels like, I mean, I haven't spent much time in the the PNW. You know, I've spent a, a little bit of time there, but... I'm sure it's very reminiscent of what's very familiar to a lot of people.
0: Climate-wise, those vibes. Yeah.
1: And that that was a really neat area, but again, like after a couple of days you're kind of acclimatized to it's a lower I don't want to say lower diversity, but
0: um yeah, I mean a I think bit. it's I think it's more diverse than the Pacific Northwest is not taking anything away from the PNW, but uh, not quite a tropical rainforest type,
1: right? Well, that's I guess what I mean is that that type of habitat. You you're there a few hikes, and you're like, all right, I think we start kind to get of, the feel. We get we get the feel, we get the species, and then we decided to do a more coastal.
0: Well, before we get to that, I do want to say it's called the Otway Cool Temperate Rainforest, oh. and the cool thing about it is that it's, it's unique, ancient. It is it is truly a unique rainforest type? Uh, it's unique. It's unusual. It's yeah, it's nice. It's different. It's unusual. Shout out to Kath and Kim. If you know, you know. Uh, but the Otway Cool Temperate Rainforest is ancient, too. Uh, it was in place back when Gondwana was a thing, so when all the southern continents, including Antarctica, were connected. Uh, and so a lot of that flora, its history, can be traced back over 140 million years to the Cretaceous. And that, to me, is one of the things that got me most jazzed because I've always read about the southern beach forests and how they give us this hearkening back uh. to continents. Yeah. plate tectonics, continental yep. movements, and really a time lost. And, and one of the major components of this forest I wanted to see without a doubt, uh, was like top of my list was the Southern, one of the Southern beach species, the Nothofagus, And the one we got to yeah. experience was Nothofagus cunning Um, it's the Myrtle beach. They have these really cool Tiny leaves that are arranged in such a way that they almost have sort of a fern frond appearance to them.
1: They did kind of look like maidenhair fern yeah. foliage. Yeah. When
0: you look at the flowers, though, you're like, "Oh, this is in the greater Phagaceae, um, or fagales, at least." I, I forgot what or, uh, family. I think they're fagaceae, but to see old, not only just these species, but old growth versions of Nothofagus was phenomenal because it, it really does tie. The southern continents together, you can rest assured that the ancestors of Nothophagus were being chewed on by dinosaurs in Very some form cool or another. To think about. And even today, they have really cool, unique relationships with fungi. There's certain species of fungi that only grow on them. And then we learned, although we did not see,
1: We didn't Uh, try very hard either. About (laughs) the
0: southern beach moss bug or something to that effect, which is this cute little hemipterid that also has an ancient fossil record like these nothophagus that only lives in the mosses and liverworts that grow on these nothophagus trees. Very Um, cool. They're very small. The video we saw of the scientist that studies them—he like has to peel chunks of moss back and put them in Berle's funnels and like yeah. look at them under microscopes. I don't feel too bad not seeing them, but right. all of it just connects the continents. And and again, these these fossils, similar fossils have been found on Antarctica, showing that the the frozen continent once had life. But that really encapsulated the cool temperate rainforest for me was was seeing that and all the other species that it, it grows nearby.
1: Well, and that's something you've been fascinated with for a while. And I think anyone who's been listening to the podcast for many years will know that you've had many a guest to talk about that history, or at least something aligned with that for a long time, because it's it's really cool to see it finally in person.
0: Yeah, deep time, paleobotany, those are all my kicks. And then when you get to actually see living members that represent some of the stuff, it was... Very, very special.
1: It was very special.
0: But sorry to have cut you off. No, I just that's wanted good. Wanted to get that. I'm one glad out. you um, did.
1: I just was thinking that you know we'd spend a couple days and hikes in these rainforesty vibes, you know, in the in the fern forests where there were gullies and lots of waterfalls and it was very uh, misty and wet. it had a it had a vibe, cool. you know, and I just was like, I want to get to the coast. Like, I want to see what's different over there. And we picked a trail that was kind of on the coastal upland forests. And I think one of those hikes was definitely one of my favorites. We took a long hike along the coast that kind of went uphill and then down into a bay where we had to actually cross the water, which was very cold. Um, But we spent many hours just fascinated by the intense Uh, ocean and the
0: the coast the southern coast is powerful it it instilled a healthy fear and respect for the ocean yes in me
1: thousand percent
0: um what's wild is that you know where we were it's pretty much either you hit tasmania or you drift all the way out into the ocean and hit antarctica yeah um but the the shelf is very shallow relatively shallow between southern australia and tasmania and so these were connected when the ocean uh, levels were much lower. But, you know, looking out and seeing these massive waves come in, like true breakers, like the curling over that you see in surf videos and, and kelp being so cool. Whipped around. It was just it was a wild coastline.
1: It's just um you know it again was reminiscent of the Pacific Northwest, yeah. like the West Coast and maybe areas of like Hawaii or where you have these just dramatic huge rocky cliffs and i'd I'd never seen anything like it um but the you know i have a very warm place in my heart for like savannah grassland type areas and it definitely gave those types of vibes we had big um but shorter eucalyptus forests to probably actually probably a different species now i think about it
0: i'd assume there's like Nine hundred. There's so many, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and one of the reasons we picked this trail is we heard it's a it's a good place to see a lot of um, orchids, orchid species, or at least a couple orchid species yeah. that I really wanted to see. Early
0: spring is truly terrestrial orchid season in that neck of the woods. For and man,
1: we just we got super lucky with timing. And uh, one of the orchids that I really wanted to see was this bird's mouth orchid. Uh, yes, and. We saw it almost immediately, which just seemed very fortuitous. It is so neat. It's like two, uh, maybe quarter-sized leaves. And out the middle is this spectacular maroonish-colored orchid that opens with the mouth up towards the sky. And the labellum kind of floats with the wind. Like it kind of flops back and forth, I guess. It's very...
0: Loosely hinged, it felt like. So the slightest breeze, you'd see it just...
1: But man, vibrating. just like mind-blowing. And yep. I was like, well, if that's the only orchid we see this whole trip, great. It was, great. <laughs>
0: it was it had these protuberances that came off of it. Um, from what I read, it's sexually deceptive. So I think it mimics the sex pheromones of a wasp. I'm assuming a wasp, although wasps and fungus gnats and gnats in general get roped into that stuff quite a bit.
1: It was just a very cool site. Lots of um, drosera Yeah. So we saw a lot yeah. of drossera lining Tuborous the trails.
0: sundews. And so very cool. this, the, the the complex we were seeing, forget what, the, it's like drosera A something. I don't know. It's a complex of like four or five subspecies that could probably be their own species depending on who you talk to.
1: They could get pretty tall.
0: Yeah. Some were like what? Foot tall? Foot, foot yeah. and a half. Yeah. It was very cool. They, they would vine up around the surrounding vegetation and i don't know most of the ones we saw had insects trapped in them so yeah they're doing good
1: they are but
0: they're tuberous which is cool because they're not sitting in wet sphagnum bogs like i'm used to seeing or really wet sand It's like dry slopes pretty dry yeah yeah and so they grow from this sort of tuber like i think either tuber or corm would be my guess yeah Uh, so they don't need that moisture subsidy that a lot of other drosera i'm used to seeing do
1: it was just a cool habitat. These big gnarly um, eucalypts and and other probably myrtles and things like yeah. that.
0: multi-stem eucalypts. That's what really changed yeah. was that you got they from were, an area yeah. of like a single big trunk to eucalypts being multi-trunked.
1: There were a lot of these big ferns that reminded me of bracken ferns, but bigger.
0: Never identified that. <laughs> Never figured out what that, that one
1: way. is, but I'm sure it's pretty common. And uh, we kind of go around this corner and then it kind of opens out more into like what you would consider a savanna like it was not a lot of mid-story vegetation and these big grassy lumps that hmm. I was like that is not a grass but it looks like a grass
0: I think you said looks like young
1: long, it looks like my long pineus yeah. yeah I was like these look like little longleaf pines because they had a darkened black base and And then kind of a tuft of poof grass on top. And then we saw a couple that had spikes coming out of them. And we were like, whoa, what? Yeah. And then Matt got really excited.
0: (laughs) So it was uh, Xantharoa, Xantharoa australis, the grass tree, the austral grass tree, which apparently is the most common species of grass tree in Australia.
1: And we did see quite a lot of it where it was common.
0: Yeah. When you got into the right habitat, it was everywhere, but nowhere in between, it felt like.
1: It's really crazy looking.
0: So it kind of startled me to learn that they are in the Asphodelaceae, so they are distant cousins of Daylilies.
1: Although when you see the flower, you're like, oh, okay. okay. If, you, if
0: you're more familiar with the family, I guess. Not, if you
1: didn't nothing know. Nothing
0: about yeah. that said Hemericalis. No. Me, but yeah. No. If, you're, if you're familiar with asphodels, slightly more sense has been made by that but they are another one that I've just been dying to see, only I've ever heard of. Um, And they're really a good sign of like a fire prone ecosystem. And this I felt like was what you were describing was even more fire prone than what we were seeing in some of the the eucalyptus forests. Um, Now, mind you, the nothophagus tree fern forests generally don't burn very much so that we've kind of spanned the spectrum. But this, this area definitely burns. And apparently like the big, now imagine this tuft of grass, like prairie drop seed with this big brown spike that stands taller than me in really a lot of tall. cases.
1: Yeah. Some of them were at least 10, 15 feet tall.
0: Very velvety yeah. at, the, at the most of the spike. And then these white flowers erupt from it. Um, apparently that really happens in perfusion right after a fire. So this is one of those, you know, young ones and old ones get killed, but the middle... Yeah. Seral stages are really um, adapted to fire can handle fire and probably reproduce better with some natural fire regime.
1: Yeah, which so this one coastal hike was really great but then on our I think our last day we went to this area on the eastern part of the Otways which was mm. very upland, very coastal and it had very recently been burned oh, i think maybe probably
0: within a few weeks
1: weeks maybe a month i don't know yeah. but uh it was just totally alien you know at like any post-burn landscape looks but it was mostly eucalypts and then grass trees mm-hmm. and there was a lot of drostra on the ground cover um but uh, we
0: see like seven species of orchids? i think we
1: saw yeah
0: like a that stupid day.
1: amount of orchids.
0: A lot of the spider orchids, Calendaria or whatever, the genuses. I mean, just again, these.
1: There was a cool amount of like Fabaceae shrubs yeah. um, that are, are unique. That, the wattles. You know, there's so many of them. There was wattles. There was um, trigger plants. Stolidium, Which was very neat. I that know. was super exciting. Another
0: thing I've only ever seen in pots. So here's the grass leaf trigger plant growing with its beautiful pink flowers. I got the, I had to, I did a. I triggered one of the things. They have this. You gotta know the style that's under pressure, and it like is bent away, like underneath the the flower. And then if it if you hit the right spot on the flower, it flies in and smacks eat the pollinator. But my thumb yeah. in this case.
1: Uh, we saw donkey head orchids. Oh my god! Which blew my mind.
0: Yeah, uh, for right sure. off my head, it was. It took a while to recover. I'll never emotionally recover, I think, was the
1: <laughs> from all the orchids. The we statement saw.
0: that I saw that day. But I mean, the grass trees were just such a big structural component. They're another one that can live for hundreds of years. Uh, apparently very sensitive to Phytophthora rot. Uh, Phytophthora is a big deal over there. I yeah, did not realize.
1: This pr- we saw this crazy cool protea called Isopogon ceratophilus.
0: Ceratophyllum Ceratophila,
1: ceratophila I think. Ceratophilus. uh the horny cone bush <laughs> uh which was really common in where we saw it in some of these post burn areas Picture a green
0: a bright green brillo pad and then the inflorescence is yeah. very protea ish uh red base yellow actual flowers coming out of it but tucked in this But it just- had Dense, yeah. It also had leaves. like
1: a very thistle y look to it. Like okay. when I looked at it, I was like, Oh, that looks like thistle leaves, how they're very gnarly and pokey. Um, but yeah, they're they're one that are really at risk from this, um, Phytophthora.
0: Yeah, I asked uh, one of the botanists we met, and they were saying, Yeah, it's related to North America's honey fungus, which does kill trees here, but. I don't ever. I think it as like a normal component of the forest. Like, yeah, part it doesn't of the, seem to be over a there, devastating. It seems to be yeah, it's real bad. They said it's
1: very tough on forests and heathlands there, which I, w- I guess I would consider some of these areas we were in heathlands. Definitely near um, the coast. Yeah, and so uh, that was a, a cool plant that we saw. That I was like, this is just the weirdest. The um, on the protea. That I was like, this yeah. is the weirdest plant I've seen, and I had no clue what it was I mean, when I looked at it.
0: Right there, a family that yeah. is also ancient, Gondwanan in origin, but man does it do crazy things like banksias isopogons and uh yeah. over there it's just so wild how many variations on a theme you can get um and they all have those proteoid roots which are kind of like coral root roots yeah uh, and they're all really about getting minimal amounts of phosphorus out of the soil these plants hate phosphorus high amounts <laughs> of phosphorus because apparently it's there's not a lot of it over there in the soil
1: I just, yeah, this this site we went to in our last day was just incredible and definitely one of my favorite days. Again, like you said, we saw maybe seven species of orchids. They were all crazy. They were all cool. We saw teeny tiny orchids. We saw big flowering orchids. Um, I I just, uh, I can't remember the name of this teeny tiny bunny ears looking one, but it was just oh, the just so sweetest, precious. most adorable. I mean,
0: we'll just call it a bunny ear orchid. And if you search bunny ear orchid <laughs> Australia, you'll find it.
1: It was just such a neat... Landscape to explore. And again, I'm, I have a really soft place in my heart for those type savanna type habitats. They just yeah. are so beautiful. I do want
0: to give a shout out to uh, the genus Brunonia, which produced these beautiful blue flowers, just the most sky blue flowers I've ever seen. But it's part of the family Gudeniaceae, which Uh, fan flowers or scaviola if you've ever gardened gone to an annual selection you'll find scaviola in there it was it's a family i know only from the annual section of nurseries here but then to see it super diverse super well represented in the floor was kind of neat too
1: yeah yeah all in all i feel like we we left feeling really like wow we really hit a few unique habitats we saw a lot of great plants we saw too much cool wildlife
0: yeah like, i think the two saw a platypus for me yeah. and, an and, and a echidna and a platypus the two <laughs> two egg laying mammals
1: which is crazy in and of yeah. itself that they lay eggs and are mammals
0: so we saw an echidna on the beach and they're like blind and part mostly can't hear so it had we were perfectly situated in the wind had no clue we were there and we just watched it probing the sand the platypus. Mouse,
1: wide open, jaw on the floor yeah. the entire time.
0: The platypus uh, was one of those. We just kind of looked up where's the best chances. And most of the websites were like, you're just not gonna. And then we went to this <laughs> yeah. little lake and we saw On a
1: cloudy, rainy, junky day that no one else wanted to be out. That's That's the key, y'all. If you want to see cool stuff.
0: Go with not a large group of people. With when,
1: no expectations. With
0: no one's out <laughs> and be quiet. But the platypus was great because it was coming up to the surface and just chilling there, giving us a good view of it.
1: So cool.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, again, wallabies, kangaroos.
1: Koalas. Koalas.
0: All the birds. It was just the perfect experience. And it was nice to like settle into one spot and just hit it hard instead of trying to see everything. Yeah. Um,
1: Which, trust me, we wanted to do. We wanted to do. We were like... We are so close to Tasmania right now, and yeah, it's, it was hard not to want to go everywhere. There's but only
0: so much time and money.
1: I gotta say, worth the 30 hours of flying, even though it was horrific. If you
0: live in North America, you know, be ready. Uh, I would love it. to do that every couple of years, but I don't know if I could mentally prepare myself. Yeah, I'm. I was happy. I had no idea what I was getting into when I got on that plane. Yeah.
1: But man, it was—it's just been fantastic to like look back at all of the photos, which you know total over a thousand easily, and uh, hopefully you can share some of those and you guys can see them. But man, we just—we had a really great trip, and uh, for any of you who are listening in Australia, it's beautiful. Thanks for for right. you know letting us come visit and explore your beautiful country right. continent. And uh,
0: I do want to give a shout outs to uh, three people in particular, Jacoby. Russell and John, those three know who they are. If they're listening, they were incredible <laughs> people. It was so great to meet them and talk with them and and just get to know them. And their recommendations were fantastic. So thank you. We had to a those great three. trip.
1: Yeah, and yeah. ten out of ten recommend.
0: It's a great country. Yeah, a great flora a lifetime of dreams came true. Yeah, we had
1: a really we had a really fun vacation if you can so. tell. So.
0: But yeah, there's plenty more again stay tuned to our social media accounts. We'll be posting pictures for probably weeks to come. But Sarah, it's always a pleasure traveling with you. You're a wonderful companion for traveling.
1: You too. It's it's very fun to explore new places.
0: But yeah, that's it. Thank you all for listening. Once again, please consider supporting this podcast through patreoncom plants. Uh you can also pick up a copy of my book some of our customizable merch and stickers. All of those links are at indefenseplants.com. Uh you can look in the show notes over at indefenseplants.com slash podcast. Sarah, where can they find you?
1: Uh, my Inst- <laughs> I have to remember what my Instagram handles. Uh my Instagram is Sylvatica underscore Sarah without Nate. Uh so it's Sarah S A S-A-R-A. R A. And um, yeah, I plant I post some plant stuff and um, some wildlife stuff. My website, you're welcome to connect with me there, So, All right, everyone.
0: Well, thank you, Sarah, for your time.
1: Yeah. Thank you great. for
0: trying to remember all these things. <laughs> and and thank you for taking the effort to winnow it down to a handful of sightings. Oh,
1: gosh. We could have gone forever.
0: Yeah. yeah. But uh, again, thank you for listening. And until next time, this is your host, Matt, signing out. Adios, everyone.
1: Bye.